Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried loud, To you it is commanded, O people, nation, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and the symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, and symphony, with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward, accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony, with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over, over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury gave the commandment to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? Or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you're ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony, with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have set up, good! But if not, if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If in this case our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace, and He will deliver us from your hand, O king, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression of his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, 
Because the command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to the counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fire furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The air of the head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore make a decree that any people, nation, or languages which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap. Because there's no God other than God who delivered like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Would you bow your hearts with me to pray? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we praise you. We bless your holy name. We just thank you for being in this place, my God. I just pray that uh, your word will penetrate even the, the darkest and deepest parts of our minds and hearts, Lord God. That it will accomplish the work that your word is set out to accomplish in us, my God. And that you may be glorified. Lord God, I just pray that uh, you will speak to our pastor and through him this morning, that you will fill Jackie with your spirit. Lord God, this morning, as he may be a conduit for your word, we love you, Lord, and we praise you, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Now you might say, <clears throat> seems like a strange text for Palm Sunday. Well, not really. If you think about Palm Sunday, you remember the story? Jesus enters into Jerusalem. They lay down palm branches, right? And they proclaim Him, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. They are singing out His praises and calling Him Messiah. That, title, that, that phrase, Son of David, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, was a, was a title or proclamation of Messiah. You remember where Jesus went? He goes right into the temple. And while he's in the temple, you remember what he does? He makes a whip. And he overturns tables and he chases out the money changers. He comes in and the, and the scripture says, Zeal for your house has eaten you up. That word zeal is also the same word as the word jealous. That he loved... His house, called it his house. He said, my house shall be what? A house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. So what do we see Jesus doing on Palm Sunday? Enters in, the people proclaim him as Messiah, and then he makes a stand. 
against the culture. And what happened? Four days later, the wrath of God poured out on His only Son. As we look at the Scripture today, I just hope you can see the parallels as we see these young Hebrew youths. And we see them making a stand against their culture. And at the beginning of this chapter, this is what's happening. King Nebuchadnezzar, remember the dream last time. What was the dream? No kingdom stands. Right? What happened to every kingdom? Gold turned to silver. Silver turned to bronze. Bronze turned to iron. Iron turned to iron mixed with clay. What's he saying? Transition. Nothing lasts forever until what? Until the rock, not cut out with hands, smashes this statue in the feet, grinds it to powder, grows into a giant mountain that fills the whole earth. The kingdom of God. How long does it last? Forever and ever. It don't change. But all the kingdoms of men are in transition. So he says he builds this, this statue right after that dream. And does he build it with all different metals? Does he build it under the concept that God had just shared with him? Remember why God gave him the dream? Daniel told him, The Lord has shown you what? Your heart. Your heart, O king. Now, chapter 4, God's going to finally deal with the heart. Nebuchadnezzar is going to bow the knee. But until then, he's got this struggle with pride. So he builds a statue. 60 cubits tall. 6 cubits wide. That's about 90 feet. 90 feet tall golden statue. You any idea how much that thing had to weigh? What do you think it was worth? Crazy, huh? Builds this humongous statue. <clears throat> this humongous statue. And listen, <clears throat> well, let's take a look at what the word lays out for us. What, what it is that God's showing us. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold. Its height was 60 cubits, its width 6. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, magistrates, all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, administrators, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. At the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time when the all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music. All the people, nations, languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We see the pressure. The pressure of the culture. Remember I told you, what was Nebuchadnezzar's plan? What's his purpose? Assimilate. How do I get you to assimilate? I bring you over when you're young. I make you grow up in the schools of Babylon. In the schools of Babylon, we teach you all our Babylonian ways. And now he set up a statue and he blows a trumpet and he says, Bow before the culture of Babylon. Bow before my culture. Bow before... And all the people come and when they hear the music, what's the Bible say they do? They all bow. Now before you think this statue is only set up 
before Nebuchadnezzar looked, there's a statue just like this in the U.S. And people bow to it all the time. I love my nation. I bled for my nation. I served my nation. But I don't worship it. I took an oath that I would protect it, and I promise. To my last breath, I will protect her. But I don't worship her. She's not my God. And she can proclaim whatever she wants. My nation can say to me, now listen, you're going to do what we say the way we say it. You're going to think how we tell you to think. You're going to say what we tell you to say. And it begins to apply pressure. And then when the nation plays the tune, everybody's supposed to bow. And today, way too many churches are bowing. There's only one name that I bow to. One name. The name of Jesus Christ. No other one is worthy of worship save Him. So what do you think? If they're saying, do what we think what we think, do what we do, fall in line, get with the program, bow. What is that? Assimilate. Assimilate. Just become like us. Just think like us. Just do things like we do. This is what the Word of God tells. The Word of God tells that if we make the Word of God the final arbiter of truth in our life, if we make the Word of God the foundation upon which we stand, then the Word of God will adjust us. It will change us, and it will change our culture. But we get it backwards here, and we allow the culture to change the Word of God. Well, you know, that's just not for today. That's old. Really, that's having no bearing on today. What are they playing? Assimilate. Assimilate. Think like we think. Look at verse 8. Therefore, at, a certain, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship. And whoever does not fall down and worship should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. But there are certain Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your God or worship the gold image which you have set up. So the culture's call to us is assimilate. Think like we think, do what we do, bow. Bow to the image, bow. But what's our job? Our job's not assimilation. What is our job? Our job is transformation, right? And how does that transformation take place? Well, the number one thing that has to occur for transformation to take place is you've got to stop bowing to the altars of the world. You've got to stop bowing to the images of the world. You've got to stop bowing to what everybody's selling. Because the emperor has no clothes. Period. So what do they say? Listen to what they spit out. There are certain Jews. Blah. You hear it? Certain Jews. They got our jobs. You know those dirty Jews. They got our jobs. There are people that believe what the Word of God says. How stupid can you be? There are people that believe what the Bible says is sin is actually sin. How stupid can you be? There are people that believe that this book is a final arbiter of truth. 
How stupid can you be? They won't bow. That's how transformation takes place. They should be saying in our culture today, Christians, blah! Well, they do. (laughs) They should say they won't serve the God of government. They won't worship at the altar of popularity. They're true believers. And they all need to burn. You can't make friends with the world. You got to pick a side. You got to pick a side. So what's the problem in our culture today? In our culture today, people will not stand on this. In our culture today, people won't stand on this. They won't say, this is it. This is true. Now, everybody doesn't like what this says. Are you aware of that? I don't know if you knew that. Not everybody likes it. Not everybody likes the things. Not everybody agrees with the things that they say. But listen to what the church will do, because the church will make little changes. And if I step on your toes today, I'm sorry. I'm really not, but I'm, I'll just tell you I'm sorry. Because look, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And your problem's not with me, your problem's with a word. And I'll tell you what people do about it. So, just a simple thing. I'm not going to get too complex, and I don't got a lot of time to, to harp on it. So what's the church do? The church comes to the Bible, and it looks at the Bible and says, Yeah, this is pretty good, but you know what? The disciples, they didn't have this book. They were writing it. But what the disciples had was the Holy Spirit. So why should we rely on a book that they didn't have? And what we should do is just rely on the Holy Spirit. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? I actually think it sounds kind of good, except there's a problem. That the, the speaking of the Holy Spirit to you is a personal thing, and it's subjective. What do I mean? I've had people come up to me and say, Jackie, I've been praying and the Holy Spirit told me to divorce my husband or divorce my wife. Okay? Why, what's, why is that a problem? Why is it a problem? If this book doesn't matter, who cares? Everything's subjective. If you feel like you ought to do it, then do it. But what do we say? We say, no, this book is real. And it says, God hates divorce. So God didn't tell you to do it. And you may decide to do it, but that's up to you. But God didn't say it. Don't lay that at the altar of the Holy Spirit. What's another one? Okay, here's something a lot of churches do. They do this. They say, you know what? Women are incredibly gifted. Does anybody disagree with that so far? We can all be, we can all agree with that? You're going to disagree in a minute. You might as well take the chance. So women are incredibly gifted. I absolutely agree. And there are women who can teach better than me. Absolutely agree. Absolutely. And their gifts should be used. Absolutely. We agree on everything so far. All that's true. As long as a woman is under the headship of either her senior pastor or her husband. But here's what people will do. People will say, no, you know what? She's got the call and she's got the gift, so we're going to make her the pastor. Why are you going to do that? Oh, come on. This is the 21st century. Women can do everything a man can do. The movement is called the movement of egalitarians. There's just one small problem. One small problem. It's really little problem. First Timothy chapter 2. What's it saying? First Timothy chapter 2. It says... Paul says, I forbid a woman to have authority over a man in church. 
Now that doesn't mean that a woman has nothing to offer. A woman can't teach a man. It means a woman's supposed to stay under the headship of her husband or the senior pastor of the church. The church is supposed to have male leadership. I didn't make the rules. I wish it wasn't that way. I wish I could just go garden or mow a lawn or hang out in my yard and I could just stop all this stuff. But you know what? God didn't call me and say, Jackie, you know what? I was just wondering what you want to do with your life. No, God said, here's what you got. But what happens is, a lot of people, now look, you'll say, well, what's the big deal? Jackie, what's the big deal? You just cut out a book. I'm going to tell you how the egalitarians, people who believe women should be pastors, I'm going to tell you how they get there. The Greek is impeccable. The Greek in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is impeccable. There's absolutely zero argument with the Greek. In fact, the egalitarians say the same thing. So the women pastors say the same thing. One of the head women pastors wrote... Uh, uh, an approval of a book I read called Biblical Manhood and Womanhood in which she said, man, this guy's Greek is perfect. He's absolutely right. But this is how I get around that, she said. I don't think the pastoral epistle should be in the Bible. What do we just do? Is this the final arbiter? What's the final arbiter? Final arbiter is my reasoning. And my reasoning says that's bogus. We don't want that part in there. Then what do we do next? We go, you know what? This thing about homosexuality is lame. So we're going to cut that part out. And we rip that part out and we throw it away. And then we say, you know what? I don't really like this thing about, about you got to be married. So we're going to rip that part out and we're going to throw it away. And pretty soon, what do you have as an arbiter of truth? Nothing. That's most of the church. Way too much of the church. What have they done? Bowed to the golden altar. Bowed to the assimilation of the culture. They've just said, no, this is how it's got to be. And I guarantee there, if there ain't 20 people ticked at me right now in church, uh, but I'm just going to tell you, you're crazy. Your argument is with this book. I can read it to you in English. Is that the final arbiter or not? Is that the final arbiter? What's it say for every husband? To do what? Love your wife. How? Like Christ love a church. That's pretty intense, isn't it? Period. No, no other passing phrase. Let every woman be in submission to her husband. Why? Because every man wants that? Look, look most, of a, most men in most homes, here's the first thing they want to do. They want to abrogate authority. They want to turn it all over to their wife. They, want, they don't want it. That's why God says, take it. Men don't want it. Why don't they want it? Well, it doesn't. Here, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bad news. It don't matter whether you take it or not. Because you're going to stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of God, and He's going to say, what did you do with the authority I gave you? And you're going to have to say, I buried it in the backyard because I was afraid to mess it up. <laughs> you remember how that story goes, right? That's authority. That's God-given. That's this. So what have they done? We bowed to the altar. We bowed down. And what has happened? We've lost our witness. We're so busy bowing to the altar of culture to try to stay culturally relevant so we change the message so the culture likes it. Bunk. Here's what the culture needs to hear. Repent and believe. That's what we need to hear, by the way. Repent and believe. 
That's what we need. So what's happening? These guys are making a stand. They're not changing their ways. They're true believers. And my question is, which of us now in our culture today, when we see our world circling the drain and we see fire starting all over the place and we look and we think, I'm kind of getting panicked because I don't really see it out. I'm going to tell you what the out is. Don't bow. Stop. Stand. Don't bow. The whole nation is telling, what are they shouting at Christians? Look, our biggest problem with Christians is they just, they believe that stupid book. That's the truth. They believe that book. Our own president, sitting president right now, when he ran the first time, I can't believe nobody listened to him, but he stood up and said, those people who think I should rule by the Bible, that's ridiculous. What part should I rule by? Should I rule by the part that says if your children are disobedient, kill them? Obviously not. So look, we just keep that book out. You think I'm full of beans? Look them up. It's on YouTube. Nobody heard it. I heard, I heard Christians in the church tell me, he's a Christian. <laughs> Are you on crack? <laughs> he's not. Listen, don't clap too hard because I'm going to say something else you're not going to like in a minute. Because there's a bunch of other people doing making the same mistake now. Making the same mistake now. You might say to me, you know, our leader doesn't need to be a Christian. And I'll say to you, are you on crack? <laughs> what, are, what are the leadership traits that the Bible talks about? You ever read them? First Timothy, that book that they want to throw out. Second Timothy, Titus. Talks about the leadership of an elder and what makes a good leader. And you look at the guys running and you read on that list. And then you go, yeah, I can't get behind that. Because the Word of God is my final arbiter and it tells me the foundation. And I'm not going to bow to your golden image. I'm not going to do it. And if the church don't stop doing it, the church will remain ineffective and God's judgment will continue to fall. And it ain't as bad as it's going to get. I promise. Are you kidding me? Somebody comes walking into a cake shop and says, I want to have a cake for a wedding. And a mom and dad with seven kids, they're talking to them about the cake and they find out it's for a, a gay wedding. And they say, you know what, that kind of goes against our religious uh, convictions, so I'm sorry we can't make you a cake. It's a cake, for crying out loud. You can get a cake at Walmart. <laughs> you heard what, the, what they got? They sued them, closed the shop. Got some ridiculous millions of dollars of damages. Damages because I want to make you a cake? Maybe you shouldn't eat so much cake. <laughs> Bow, you hear it? Bow to the image. Or we're going to make you pay. Bow to the image or we're going to put you in the furnace. You think that's not going to happen more and more? Look, what the nation needs is Revival. 
The nation needs revival. And, and instead of all Christians getting worked up about their candidates, hopefully the people who are mad at me can hear me, the, the, instead of getting worked up about your candidates, get worked up about praying for revival. And you remember the key to pray for revival? Go into your prayer closet, draw a circle, get in it, and ask God to start revival in that circle. And if it starts there, it'll go out. That's how we change the culture. But today, church is too busy. She's too busy bowing. And so look what happens. Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury. That's what, the, that's what the world's like. That's what the culture is, right? If the church won't bow, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, <clears throat> Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? You won't worship the gold image I set up? Now, if you're ready, at the time you hear the horn and the flute and the harp and the lyre and the psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made. But if you do not worship, you'll be cast into the middle of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that can deliver you from my hands? That is exactly the conversation our president has every time he thinks about putting down Christians. Who's going to save you from my hands? That's exactly what the culture says. Look, I'm going to tell you the next thing to go. There's going to come a leader who says, you know, why in the world are we helping out all these Christians? Let's take away 501c3. You guys know what that is? Let me tell you how that relates to you. You get a tax deduction to give to the church. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I don't really care if you get a tax deduction if you give to the church. I give too. I don't really care if I get one. That's not why I do it. And listen, if it's why you do it, if that's the reason you do it, do yourself a favor and keep it. God ain't broke. When's the last time you come into church and the preacher said, stop giving? Yeah, you can count how many times that's ever happened. <laughs> Look, you want a tax deduction? Stop giving. You want to honor God the way he said to honor him by, by giving your tithe and offering? Then honor God. Be jealous for God. Honor him. Elevate him. Lift his name up. Keep your eyes focused on him because he, God Almighty, wants a relationship with you, but he wants an exclusive relationship. You know what exclusivity means? You and him, period. Not you loving him and 50 million other gods. That you want to bow down to. Or that you want to worship. God wants exclusivity. He wants it all for Him. So what is this statue? It's this giant image. This giant image, guys, it's just a symbol of all the gods. That's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar said. You're not going to worship all my gods? There's just one image, but what's that one image stand for? Every false god he's got. The image stands for everything opposed to the Lord. Look, they did a, one of them polls. I love them polls. They make me so happy. They did a poll on premarital sex in America, 18 to 23-year-olds. They defined it to two groups, 18 to 23-year-olds in the church, 18 to 23-year-olds outside of the church. And at the end of the period of time, they wouldn't know what percentage of 18 to 23-year-olds were still virgins. Those who were in a place where they taught them premarital sex was bad and that they should be married, or those who didn't teach anything, just did whatever they wanted to do. And you know what they found out at the end of it all? 23% in 
in both groups. What's that mean? You're bowing. You're bowing to the altar, to the image. They play the music, and we dance. They tell us to bow, and we bow. Why? Because we want to say, this isn't the final arbiter. You don't have to listen to it all. More than half of it isn't for today anymore. I just want to tell you, that's bunk. If you don't understand why the ceremonial law was fulfilled in Christ, if you don't understand why we're free to to worship on the Sabbath, and why we're free to eat shellfish, and why we're free to wear polyester and cotton together, if you don't understand that, then I'm going to tell you the cure. You want to know the cure? Study the Bible! Well, Jackie, I would just rather you tell me. Look, I do that on Thursday nights, and the class starts with like 50 and ends with 4. You can come. You can come. But that word, that's the final arbiter. What it says goes, period. And if you're not obeying what this says, you're bowing to the culture. If you're bowing to the culture, you don't have a leg to stand on, and they don't want to hear from you. But what's the number one thing they need? They need to hear from you, man. they got to hear from you what, what Jesus Christ has wrought and done in your life. Here's what the culture says. Believe what you want in private, but in public, bow to the image. Isn't that what Nebuchadnezzar had? That was the same deal. Believe what you want in private, but in public, bow to the image. And I'm telling you, look... If you can't do it in public, then you ain't got it in private. What? Yeah, look, if you can't stand and tell somebody, you tell me, I'm married. Oh, I love my husband. But you come and tell me, yeah, I don't want to tell nobody. Well, I don't want nobody else to know. I don't want nobody else to know I'm married. No, I don't want to, I don't want to put any trip on anybody else. I'm not going to tell them. I'm going to tell you, you don't love your husband. You don't love your wife. Do you? But if you love your husband and wife, are you afraid to say, this is my wife? Are you ashamed to say, this is my husband? What did I tell you God wants? Exclusivity. You and Him. Till the wheels fall off. And God's Word describes it, just like a marriage. We are called the bride of Christ. Oh, interesting, huh? Does God want a bride that's loyal? Does God want a bride that is exclusive? I think so. Right? So we've got to be able to make the same stand that they make. Now listen to what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that's the case, our God whom we serve is able. So listen to the first part. One, God is able. What's the next thing that they say? He's able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. Number two, He will deliver us from your hand. Is that true? All the time? What if He don't deliver you from the fire? Is it still true? Are you delivered from the king's hand? Well, the Bible says, look, all the king can do is kill you. And what happens then? As from the body is present with the Lord. In fact, Romans 8 says that the struggles we have in this world today are not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed when we see Jesus face to face. So He said, when we see Jesus, man, you're going to think, oh, that was easy. Because this place is rocking. This is awesome being with you. Being with Jesus Christ. 
This is the, the, the cat's meow, man. This is what it's about. So, He will deliver you. He's able to deliver you. And then I love this. But if not, let it be known. We will never bow. We will never bow. Man, do you trust God like this? Are you and Jesus in an exclusive relationship? Are there other gods that you're worshiping? Are you bowing to the altar of popularity? Are you worshiping your own reason? Are you worshiping your own wisdom? Are you worshiping prudence? Are you worshiping at any other altar other than the altar of the divine and holy God? Because listen, God is jealous for you. Are you jealous for Him? Look, there's a problem, and I don't have time to get into it. We have a negative view of jealousy, but listen, jealousy is a proof of love. There's a good kind of jealousy. What do you mean? I mean, if, if, if your husband loves you, he don't let you go. He don't let you go. He's jealous for you. No, you can't be with another man. I'm jealous for you. You and me, till the wheels fall off forever and ever and ever and ever. That's what it means to be jealous for. That's what it means. That's what the Bible means when it says God is jealous for us. He wants exclusivity. He wants the whole heart, not a piece. He wants it all. Every drop, lock, stock, and barrel. He wants every bit of it. But my question is, are you jealous for Him that way? You love Him so much that you can't help but tell somebody about Him. You love Him so much that you got to talk about Him wherever you're at. You find the Lord popping up in conversation. Or are you worried that you're going to make somebody feel uncomfortable, so to keep them from feeling uncomfortable, you bow before the image. God is jealous for us. Are we jealous for Him? Because Rack, Shack, and Benny are. You guys know who that is, right? I lose a bunch of people. Everybody who doesn't have veggie tails is going, What? Shad, Rack, me, Shack, and Abednego. Rack, Shack, and Benny. It's easier to say, trust me. Rack, Shack, and Benny, what do they do? They, they're not going to bow. Don't you find peace in the reality that God loves you just like you are? Now hold that thought. Will you love God that way? Think about what that means. Will you love God just like He is? With the rules in His book that you might not like. With the concepts that He lays out that you wrestle with. Or you say, you know, I don't really like a God like that. I want a God like this. Then you're at the image. Because the God of the Bible is the only God there is. And if you take Him, you get all the stuff with it. Not most of it. All of it. Will you love Him the way He loves you? Because He says, I love you. I love you even though, you know, you blow it sometimes. I love you even though you don't always do what you ought to do. I love you. I love you so much. I couldn't. There's nothing else I could do for you. Love God that way. Or do you love God like this? You know, if you only thought like I thought, if you only were like I am, if you only would change some of these things, then I'd be cool with you, God. But otherwise, I'm not. Then let me tell you, you don't love Him. And if that's how you love your wife, man, you don't love her neither. Because I don't know, whatever prize you think you are, let me fix it for you. 
You ain't all that hot, man. So I better stop when I'm ahead. All right. <clears throat> so let's take a look. Listen to what it says. Next thing we see is the fire of suffering. Look at it, verse 19. The Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. The expression of his face changed. He got freaky looking. He's gnashing his teeth toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded the heat of the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. I want you guys to picture it, because the furnace was this big round thing with an opening on the top where the flames came out. And what they would do is they would build like stairs that went up to the top, and they'd throw stuff in to keep this big furnace burning. So when they're throwing them in, you, I want you to picture it. They're not like there's some kind of opening in a fireplace, and they're putting them in a fireplace. They're going up these stairs to the top of this furnace, and they're pitching them over into the coals. So he, he goes up and says, seven times hotter. So they throw a bunch of wood in. They dump a bunch of oil in. They get that stuff cooking. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their coats or trousers or turbans or other garments. They were cast in the middle of the fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the fame... The flame of the fire killed the men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men fell down into the midst of the fiery, burning, fiery furnace. Look, suffering is inevitable. You think that's only going to happen to them? Anybody ever been through the furnace? Listen to what the Word of God says, Job 5-7. Man is born to trouble. Like sparks fly upward. Sound like there's going to be trouble? I think that's what it means. First Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is about to try you. <clears throat> as though some strange thing is happening to you. Listen. Americans struggle with suffering more than any other people on the face of the earth. Somebody's going, what? Yeah, we struggle with it. We have a problem with it. We don't like it. You know, the other day I said something about Jesus and I got unfriended on Facebook. The persecution is getting heavy. Yeah. That's a whole nother sermon. Look, most others expect it. They don't recoil from it. But, but we find ourselves recoiling. But listen to what the Bible says about it. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what he says happens in suffering. Four questions are answered. Ask yourself if you want to know these four things. Do you want to know your heart? Do you want to be a compassionate person? Do you want to have profound trust in God? Do you want to be wise about life? Then you ought to pray. Bring on the fire. Because the church needs it. In a big way. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Didn't we put three guys in there? They answered and said, True, O king. But look, I see four. And the one walking in the midst of the fire. And they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Any of us go through suffering alone? Never. Does anybody go through suffering alone? 
never. What do you mean? God is always with you. Where can I hide from your spirit, Lord? If I make my, my, if I send into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, behold, you are there. If I fly on the wings of the morning into the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand guides me and your right hand holds me. There's nowhere you go where the Spirit of God is not with you. Remember? I said you got to love God the way He loves you. Even when things happen you don't understand. Are you going to love God the way He loves you? Listen to what God says in Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, nor the flames scorch you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Look, I'm going to tell you right now. There is no other God that saves like our God. How does He save? He took the fire for you. What are you talking about? Or remember I told you that God's jealous for you. And everyone who sins, a soul that sins, what's the, what's the word say? The soul that sins is, it dies, has to die. The soul that sins must die. The wages of sin are? Death. Death. Doesn't that seem extreme? If we're honest, yeah, it seems kind of extreme. That seems kind of extreme. I don't know, that's kind of harsh. So what did God do? The God of all the universe, who loves you and said, I'll save you. He built a fiery furnace full of the wrath of God. You can't even begin to fathom what that place is like. You can't even begin to fathom it. He heated it up hotter than you can ever imagine. And that place is for anyone who rejects God. Anyone who won't have exclusivity with Him. He built it. But you know what else God did? God the Son came and put on flesh. And in one night, sitting in the garden of Gatshmone, weeping over a rock, He looked deep into the fiery furnace, and He said, I'm going to go there. So you don't have to. So when you're wondering whether or not God's worthy of love, you just remember... That fiery furnace wasn't His. He who knew no sin became our sin offering. That we might become the righteousness of God. So God the Son walked in that fire. That fire was for us. Every one of us. No God saves like that. There is no God that saves like that. The God of Islam, He don't save like that. There is no other God that saves like that. We're going to close out because I could go for another hour and a half. I'm not going (coughs) to. But here's what we're going to do. I think I'll go ahead and close with a song after this. But guys, while you're just thinking about what we talked about, please. This, uh, I'm going to show you a video. I love this song. I'm going to do this song for Easter. Um, but I just want you to see the, the God we're talking about. And I want you to ask yourself whether or not you're bowing to the altar. And I want you to know if you are, all you got to do is repent. And God's right there to forgive you and say, let's do right, my little child. Because I took the furnace with you.
And I took the furnace for you. Check 